Good afternoon uh, from Singapore and welcome to our Radio Finance Virtual Roundtable. We've assembled a distinguished group of senior executives from the business and technology uh, se sectors from leading institutions across Asia to debate the evolving role of payment as a service and how it is redefining customer experience in the payments industry today. I'm Mubashar Zain Kazmi, Head of Research at the Asian Banker. And I'm Neeti Agarwal, Senior Research Manager at the Asian Banker. And we will be your co-host for the next 60 minutes. I'm happy that we have a multifaceted roundtable that will look at topic from business, product, and technology perspective. The payment industry has had to adapt amid the coronavirus outbreak as consumers are forced to turn to cashless, remote, and online transactions with the increased adoption of e-commerce. For most players, the fierce competition and the absence of scale has turned payments into a commoditized business with unsustainable margins. In response, financial institutions are increasing their pace of digitalization and introducing new payment capabilities, such as e-wallets, mobile and re real-time payments. They're also supporting e-commerce transactions and collaborating with fintech players and merchants that are operating in a rapidly changing digital ecosystem, building solutions designed around customer needs and preferences. So in today's session, we will discuss the latest trends in payment transformation and delve into different opportunities to create a more sustainable, customer-centric and profitable business. Uh, some of the topics that we'll be discussing today include payment as a service, reinforcing the need for an innovative and sustainable digital payment platform, the rise of buy now, pay later, utilizing application programming interface, artificial intelligence, and machine learning to build a sustainable and successful lending business, optimizing merchant payments opportunities by outsourcing with lower cost and secure data, migrating payment services and systems into the cloud, making cross-border payment and remittance faster, seamless, and cost-effective. Um, we'd like, now like to take this opportunity to introduce our guests. We have Noel Santiago, uh, Chief Digital Officer, the Bank of the Philippine Islands. There's Atul Buchar, who's Group Payments Head, Global Transaction Services at DBS Bank. Also with us is Vijay Naidu, Executive Director for FinTech Ecosystem <coughs> and Innovation in Group Channels and Digitalization at United Overseas Bank and Henry Aguda, Senior Executive Vice President, Chief Operations Officer and Chief Transformation Officer, Union Bank of the Philippines. Also with us is Millie Guillon, Global Head of Client Experience, Managing Director and Re of Retail Banking at Standard Charter. And along with her is also Carlo Nazareno, Senior Vice President, Transaction Banking Group at Banco de Oro. And we have with us uh, Colin Din. He's Executive Vice President and Head of Enterprise Technology and Operations, Security Bank. We have Devashish Das. He's Managing Director, Head of Planning, Marketing and Advisory, Deputy Head of Global Transaction Banking, Asia, Mizuho Bank. We have Kevan, Kevan Turel. He's Head of Payment Advisory, Global Liquidity and Cash Management, Asia Pacific. HSBC, Hong Kong. And we have Venkat ES. He is Managing Director, Head of Asia Treasury Product, Global Transaction Services, Bank of America. Uh, 
Along with that, we have John Howard Medina. He is Chief Operating Officer, Philippines Bank of Communications. And Lito Villanueva, he is Executive Vice President and Chief Innovation Inclusion Officer, Rizal Commercial Banking Corporation. And we have with us Kanaf Pandit. He is Senior Vice President, Banking and Payment, Asia-Pacific FIS. And Mahesh Ramamurthy, he is Senior Vice President, Payments, Europe, Asia-Pacific and MEA at FIS. To give a bit of background and context for the global payment sector, the events of 2020-2021 has really reset expectations and significantly accelerated several existing trends. Government measures to protect citizens uh, and the rapid changes in consumer behavior have changed the operating environment for market players, both large and small worldwide. With that said, a new generation of technology solutions has now emerged, allowing banks to modernize their payments product portfolio. And that's payments as a service, which enables players to operate cloud-based platforms and provide specialized services, such as card issuing, payments clearing, cross-border payments, disbursements, and e-commerce gateways. Banks wishing to offer these services can integrate these platforms via application programming interfaces or APIs, which allow the institutions to link these products into their core banking platforms. In effect, building a cloud-based payment services stack of their own. Banks can also offer these services to end customers and can update and swap out services more readily. This ability to add or replace specific solutions will be truly game-changing for their customers in terms of developing an, an innovative and sustainable digital payments platform. I believe generally that there are two key developments that we need to look out for. One is the expedited time to market for new payment products. The other is the reduced capital investment with payment products being continuously updated and upgraded with a proportionately reduced technology spend. Given that context, um, I'd like to now invite him, uh, if he can give us an update in terms of the experience he's having at his bank, uh, particularly in terms of uh, you know, the impact he's seeing uh, on new payment products. Uh, the Philippines has actually seen a uh, renaissance in payment services, uh, uh, especially during the pandemic, and largely because of the national payment retail system that our regulator has launched. So Instapay and Pesonet has uh, become a verb in, the, in our country uh, to, to signal fund transfer. Basically, if they need to transfer money, they either do it by Instapay for small value amounts and Pesonet. Uh, for larger value amounts. And uh, I think by end of this year, we would have reached close to about 40% of digital payments, uh, uh, of payment transactions in the Philippines as being digital. And because of that, I mean, we've implemented uh, systems that are API rich and highly scalable. So we're, we're glad that uh, that has taken flight because it consumes a lot of the APIs that the bank already has, uh, even prior to the pandemic. So it's, it's a renaissance of payment services, and we're seeing not just the volume, but the variety of ways people can pay digitally at this point. And the same question for Noel as well, uh, from BPI's perspective, if you can give us an, uh, an input or update in terms of, uh, you know, what BPI is, uh, you know, uh, working on in terms of building a sustainable digital payments platform. Yeah, um, as uh, mentioned by my colleague, um, the, this pandemic created a new demand for, for payment, primarily because of 
a new form of commerce, right? Both formal and informal commerce, right? Uh, the emergence of homepreneurs right? created created the new commerce that is beyond the traditional mainstream commerce, right? Therefore, the ability to to participate and be able to buy and sell goods in the digital world became a norm, not just no longer a sideline business. Now with with the BPI having one of the largest customer base, we were ready for that by e equipping our client the ability to do that kind of transaction. Right now, what are we doing in that space? Uh, we are one of the um, biggest contributor to the InstaPay network. Uh, we are creating API-based uh, integration capabilities. And uh, we're already moving into an ISO 922 standard as early as now. So we are preparing ourselves to the next wave of payment capabilities. I also like to bring Colin into the uh, conversation as well. Uh, Colin, uh, how, are you, how are you preparing uh, for this next wave? I think I'd like to answer the question in a slightly different way. You know, we talk about the payment infrastructures, and I think that that's very important. In fact, you know, the, the movement regulation, the movement government, the, the, the rails are all really critical. But I would like to internalize the question a bit differently. And I look at it from a point of view of what you need to do in a bank to actually look at payments and be ready for, you know, speed to market, reduce costs. And the problem is, is that payments have been built into our overall legacy. And it's not a system per se, it's a built-in part of our legacy. And what we've got to do in that modernization program is look at how we can externalize that from products, from channels, how we can actually create that through a series of standards. Can we actually build microservice capability we're looking at is so that we can actually use standard structures of payments and then augment it with microservices for those odd uh, occasions when you need to actually adjust um, you know, for a specific customer or customer group. And I think that that's the hardest part. Actually, a longer journey than people think, you know, it's not APIs. Mm -hmm. It is about having that and building something in relation to what we're doing here is building something not only that is that you can use internally, but I want to be using payment aggregators. And that means you've got to have a whole infrastructure of capability. It's not just an API. It's understanding because you've got the interoperability of the payment with your internal product system and your external payment ag aggregator. So that's the way we're looking at pre preparing for the modernization. The key is reduce time, reduce cost, innovate very quickly. I've done this in other banks. Uh, we will be doing the same in this bank. It's nice to get a perspective both from the business side as well as from the technology challenges that, that banks are facing. But looking at it more from a strategy point of view, so the margins in payment processing are declining, while uh, digital and real-time uh, payment volumes continue to climb. Now, with the growing digital ecosystem, there are opportunities to grow scale, uh, improve uh, customer relationships, and also access to customer data. Now, what is uh, the strategy towards building a more sustainable payment model? And how do you monetize data effectively for you know, building a more profitable and payment franchise. I would like to invite Atul first uh, uh, to get a more perspective on how DBS Bank is approaching this uh, from a strategy point of view. That's an important point. Um, you know, at the end of the day, payments is an outcome. Um, you know, it's not really, you know, uh, something which customers jump out of bed wanting to make a payment. 
So what's the problem that we collectively are solving for? Uh, and it's very important to understand the customer's job to be done. So that's something which DBS did. One of the North Stars we identified was, uh, you know, making banking invisible. And from a payments perspective, we leverage on what is called the TI or the Intelligent Integrated Instant Payment Strategy to make this real. Now, um, as, as you, uh, your colleague mentioned clearly, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, this has become really a must-have. It's no longer a nice-to-have in terms of digital payment um, solutions. Uh, so uh, the three, three big mega trends, you know, which, which we see and, and which we kind of are aligned with at this moment. The first is really the whole real-time 24 by 7 payments becoming real across markets, whether Singapore, Hong Kong, India, Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia. You know, this is something which is, yeah, you know, uh, become, become a hygiene factor in Philippines, uh, leveraging on QR codes, proxy addresses. And as my co-panelists mentioned, you know, it's really about then leveraging on APIs, uh, you know, to make it then a building block for platforms and ecosystems. And, and, and that's really about embedding ourselves into, into these platforms and ecosystems and making payments invisible. Uh, the next really is in terms of the customer experience. So the laser focus on making it simple, uh, intuitive and predictive, that's key. I mean, it, 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 it should be as simple as just sending a text message. And, and that's where uh, on the corporate side to integrate it with maybe the ERP or the TMS systems to be able to understand customers' business rules. And the third trend I would just quickly want to highlight is in terms of moving away from transactional payments to intelligent payments, you know, by leveraging on advisory. So that gives me a good perspective of the, uh, the various areas that uh, DBS is looking at. Uh, maybe, Kevan, uh, if I could invite you now to give a perspective of uh, how HSBC is uh, looking at it and, you know, how you are looking at a more sustainable and a profitable uh, payment franchise. And the point is we are aligned in the way the digital transformation happening. Real-time payments, APIs, they are now becoming hygiene. And so what we look at within HSBC is saying, how do we keep the customer at the center of the product development, right? Um who do we need to speak to within them, whether it is treasury, whether it is tech, whether it is business development, to understand what it is that they need. It is a well-known fact that with 24-7 and real-time payments, obviously margins are getting impacted, right? But at the same time, a lot of these customers are also going through their own digital transformation. And therefore, what we're seeing is what they value is not just data, but insights. We are, I would say, as a bank, uh, I would say not just bank, but in banking as a whole, we're at the start, very start of the data journey, right? And given HSBC scale and competitive advantage, some of the areas where we are trying to see how we can look at data more intelligently, right? Just look at the customers we cover. How can we better provide customers their own data, which therefore lowers their cost of interaction with the bank? How can we connect buyers and sellers who are again within our own ecosystem? So how are we helping our customers do their business better, right? We're also looking at saying all of this is good, but how can we then look at some of the other external data sets that we could connect, which can again help our clients do things better, right? Um, a lot of these initiatives are there. I mean, you know, we spoke about real-time payments. We are there in 12 markets in Asia, almost 40 markets globally. Um, we have API capabilities and Asia actually leads the way in terms of the API usage that we're seeing over here. So clearly the region for growth. But we've also built other capabilities such as the liquidity management uh, dashboard that allows clients, especially those who are regional clients, to get visibility of the balances, not just with HSBC, but other institutions across the region. And we're seeing that as long as we add value through insights, 
those are the drivers where we seeing customers willing to willing to actually have a fair value uh, which can then help us monetize either through stickiness or through just other means but to understand how you are building customer insights and you know the kind of uh, value you are providing through that venkat uh, uh, i would like to get you into this discussion at this point of time and give us also strategic perspective from bank of america specifically from a payments perspective it's fast evolving the market dynamics are changing by the day real time payments api lot of new technologies coming in um all that is great but purely from a bank or a payment service provider uh, the what most important strategy that we as a bank pursuing is like what kaiwan said how could we add value to the client and what is a value prop um and when you talk about payment you only talk about generally a payment being sent by a corporate or an individual um here we are looking at how could we integrate that into the financial supply chain banks need to find ways and means to come out with the value proposition depending upon the industry depending upon the segment depending upon the specific client need whether it is a large corporate or a mid sized corporate or even across the the individual or um, um, uh, wealth management segments how we could leverage all of these emerging developments on the payment side to bring and make it as a value proposition to address that particular need is what is going to know get us more client experience opportunities client delight opportunities and also client loyalty opportunities thereby making revenue stream for the banks that's how Got we it. look at it and that's exactly the what we are pursuing so um i would like to now invite uh, uh, vijay from uob bank if you can also uh, briefly give us if there is anything unique uh, or anything uh, from a different from a strategic point of view that you are pursuing at UOB bank we are all from asean and we all know asean is kind of the third largest uh, country in the world if you so call it right uh, of course it's a fragmented uh, market as well but the opportunity is huge right in terms of uh, banking about 1/4 is is banked 1/4 of asean is underbanked and half of it is unbanked right so that's kind of the the rough stats and uh, if you look at the google temasek reports right they talk about really the growth in uh, digital financial services from about 11 billion in 2019 uh, i think about 40 billion in 2025 and accelerated even more so by covid so we kind of saw that opportunity and then that's where at least as for us as uob right we we set up what we call as the tomorrow digital bank right that's our mobile only uh, offering uh, which is live today in indonesia and thailand right and and the perspective really there is to be able to ensure that we provide a a great customer experience and be able to scale up right being able to uh, look at a a customer lifetime value so right you talked about monetization right yeah. uh, so it's not just payments uh, payments is of course the start of it right you ensure the customer starts using um, your your bank or your app right and from there how do you take the customer on a journey right from uh, ensuring they are engaged with you to then being able to use that data right whether it is on on us or off us with our ecosystem partners on that note um you know uh, looking at the broader adoption of uh, the the past past framework um uh, so we'd like to also get get a sense from 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 our guests in terms of how that's impacting the rollout of their own payment products and solutions 
uh, you know, within the past framework, um, you know, and, and have a, also a, a, an assessment of the gaps. Um, and we can start with uh, at least, uh, uh, you know, looking at examining things from a retail banking perspective. And I'd, I'd like uh, Millie to, to, to give her, share her insights on this as well, um, from a, at least from a strategy perspective. So one other thing that we do with data is looking at future trends. And what I mean by that is outside of just the norm of what a unstructured data is, what structured data is, but really looking at the abstract data, what will be there in the future so that we know directionally where should we be pivoting, not just from a customer experience perspective, but also our solutions that we offer to consumers. What I mean by that is, for example, one of the trends that has been really popular both before the pandemic as well as during the pandemic, and I'm pretty sure even after the pandemic is over, hopefully sooner rather than later, is betterment. So customers are more drawn to and create more, have more trust, have more loyalty towards brands that try to make them better, as in uh, educating them, as in really tying to the fact that they know what are the specific uh, uh, preferences as well as interests and hobbies that these consumers have. So mining the data uh, that we currently get, but then also looking at abstract data. Otherwise, how am I going to be different from any of the other banks that are on this call? And so what the, these future trends and those data points do is help me to differentiate in the short term, but then also to continue to disrupt and iterate in the longer term in this industry, especially leading towards the next question in terms of how there is a lot of implications that are starting to develop with these new players, as well as these new products that are iterating uh, within the, the buy now, pay later space. And that is definitely true, um, but I don't necessarily see that there is a longer term issue for this in the sense that eventually these customer bases that are much younger, as they mature and as they grow and as they move on the whole life stage cycle and different journeys, uh, they will eventually have different needs. And those needs will eventually evolve to the core solutions that traditional banks actually offer. The differentiator here is really the experience, the channel that we provide that we should always try to iterate on and evolve, but not necessarily always looking at the core value proposition. So strategically, yes, it is something to definitely focus on, but then at the end of the day, understanding what are the human behaviors? How are they similar to the past? How are they different from the past? Focusing on the differences and how do we iterate those into our existing business? I'd also like to ask John Howard from uh, from the Philippines Bank of Communication, from, from your perspective in terms of the rollout of, of the past framework uh, and what that means uh, for, for, for retail uh, banks and, and, and really where the gap are presently? Well, PBCOM is uh, starting to become both a consumer and a provider of payments and service. How that's happened is, given our history and our customer base, we've been forced to transform into an ecosystem back. Mm -hmm. And uh, the primary ecosystems we service uh, are really built on uh, B2B payments. And uh, payments as a service helps us for cross-border payments to maintain uh, an acceptable level of compliance for the continuous changes in the standards and the regulations. Mm -hmm. On the, on the uh, downstream side, because when you service an ecosystem, it, it has to expand from B2B to B2B to C to C. So uh, we are now a task to become uh, a pass provider uh, for the B2C to C uh, leg of the ecosystems because you need 
an intermediary uh, like a bank to connect to both their proprietary and their internal uh, payment systems like rewards or uh, loyalty and to monetize them, to connect and to connect them with the payment uh, networks uh, because, uh, you know, the payments are a linchpin for servicing an ecosystem, but the, the value adding overlay is really the data uh, that that moves with the payments. And uh, the gaps, I think, are really more on uh, the interconnection with proprietary payment systems with the uh, the standard rails. Lito, the same uh, question for, for you, but from uh, RCBC's perspective as well. I think the proposition here is not just about transactional, but more transformational. Right? Mm -hmm. And we're not just talking about payments as a service or banking as a service, but I think the holistic approach towards uh, digital transformation is really providing lifestyle as a service or LAAS, right? So the thinking here is really more on how you can not just provision or provide your consumers with uh, the, the digital payments because digital transformation, as I've said, uh, goes beyond payment. It has to be bundled with all the financial services that you can actually offer your, your customers because loyalty and having to learn from their behavior, especially during the pandemic, will really uh, provide you that, you know, that spectrum of how you'll be able to deal with the requirements. So uh, to, your, to your question, uh, I, I think the, the experience that we've had for RCBC, especially when we launched uh, this car tech you know, at the height of the mm -hmm. pandemic, uh, I think we are the only uh, entity that was able to launch something uh, in, the, in, the, in the middle of a crisis. You know? uh, yeah. uh, some people would say that it was a, uh, a, a bad decision uh, for us to do it, but uh, lo and behold, it was a, a positive, uh, it was provided us with a positive outcome, right? Yeah. And it really gave us the, you know, that, uh, that awakening that really in the digital transformation is the way forward, right? And um, maybe for other organizations, while, uh, you know, digital used to be just a project in some of the organizations, now at the height, during the pandemic, it now became a mainstream thing uh, in all the uh, discussions in boardrooms and management and senior management. And right. it practically became yeah. the culture in, inside in, yeah. inside any organization. I'd like to also invite Devashish uh, if if you can give us some insight also from a transaction finance uh, standpoint. So the problem is that the consumers are uh, flush with choices. Mm -hmm. The corporates are struggling with this, you know, the policies and processes. Having said that, we have seen the corporate with an e-commerce footprint. Or those who are in the B2C space, obviously they have an opportunity to, to take advantage of those new innovations, including whether it's mobile commerce, e-commerce. We have seen and we have enabled a lot of C2B, which brings the natural speed into the transaction, which makes the AR recon much more efficient, which used to be a problem in the back days. Some of these changes have, of course, have a dependency on the willingness of the regulators and how perceptive and how progressive they are, right? And apart from the big providers, we also see that on the forefront are the smaller providers who are taking advantage of this innovation much more to bring mm -hmm. the payment as a service. But you're right, it is evolving. And what we see is that transaction banking is not the same. And the future is brighter. On that note, um, as, as uh, Devashish, as you mentioned, it is a period of uh, evolution. And given that the deployment of uh, PASS is, is still in a state of flux, so I would like to ask Mahesh uh, in terms of how he views the value that you know uh, PASS is currently providing uh, to financial institutions. 
So clearly, a couple of key points that are emerging are in terms of you have to innovate, you have to build for scale, you have to be compliant, you have to manage a lot of risks, you have to ensure that you are at the same time giving the client of client experiences that you need to bring to the fore always and keep it current. Giving all of that, this is what where a, a PaaS model, or I say truly payment as a service model by large operators like us, we really bring to the table because A, we as being as one of the largest fintechs and play very hard in the payment space, we really recognize a few things that uh, banking as a service as banks require for with the payments as a service. So what do we really address uh, beyond just the pricing part of the structures is about ensuring technology obsolescence is managed. Two is managing risks as arising out of in terms of transactions, in terms of information security, and in terms of steady compliances that are required. Regulatory challenges, ensuring that there is a steady plan from a regulatory point of view. And more importantly, a continuous stream of innovations that really keep you uh, abreast with what's happening. Now, what's going to enable this is also a layer of services. It's about creating a front-end layer of business processes and services where we, the most of the past payers will provide it as a B2B for a B2C or a C company to be able to consume it and create their experiences. And that's where you're going to see the entire thing. If there's a payment, how the payment really transitions itself to completion is what the rails that we bring to the table and the efficiencies and the continuous keys of, of security and in terms of SLAs that you meet to the table. I think there are some, there's not just a financial angle to it, but there's a hidden intangibility, which eventually uh, drives itself to a financial point of view because every bank did not create its own siloed structure, uh, but essentially starts to create those uh, look for aggregators like us who really be able to provide that as a service and be at the air and the front end enable banks innovation, managing risk, delivering the care service capability, delivering the regulatory compliance, and more importantly, enabling cross-border. Because today, I, this any company has to have a cross-border footprint and we have it across the world. And today, we operate major networks present over I would say 100 plus regions and countries. The value P that we bring to the table is has to be looked from a perspective of uh, not just beyond the financials, but in terms of how it enables you get to market fast and sustain yourself for your growth. And we're also looking at a payment practice within the organization. So there's a some of the breakthrough we are also seeing uh, today in Compass uh, embedded finance, embedded finance, financial supply chain, uh, buy now, pay later offerings. So these are gaining traction among consumers uh, across APAC and beyond. So what implications does this have on your lending business? And how are you enabling this in conjunction with your payment services? So may maybe I'd like to invite uh, Millie first. So perhaps you can comment on this and give us a perspective on how Stanchart is partnering. Uh, you've, you're partnering with e-commerce in Indonesia. You've got embedded, you're also offering embedded finance and uh, BNPL services in some markets. So give us a perspective on, on, on this uh, topic. So I truly believe that the future of banking is in 
ecosystems and in platforms. So really that is where our focus is on in terms of looking at the data in terms of accumulating data and building out those right experiences. We're also constantly looking at how can we iterate our client journey so that it can accommodate for each of these new types of platforms or ecosystems. And then in terms of the longer term, uh, some of the challenges and the obstacles that we're facing, it's always around how can we get to market faster? How can we make sure that our internal risk and controls, we are abiding by that, we're not trying to violate it or set it aside, but at the same time, not be slowed down by that. Carlo, I'd like to get you into this discussion now. So we've seen several banks in Philippines, they're offering BNPL to their customers. Could, could we have a comment from you as to how, how you are seeing towards building a sustainable lending business around uh, payment services? Uh, like most of my uh, colleagues on the phone, I think we're looking at the entire ecosystem and the Philippines being a big remittance country, we do have ecosystems that go beyond the country where we do have customers abroad that are, of course, supporting people back home. And in that scenario, when uh, especially driven by um, the pandemic, uh, the challenges that we've seen where people have uh, had financial maybe challenges as well as corporates having financial challenges, extending our payment capabilities to lending uh, products has helped a lot, not only with the people who are here, but as well as the companies that had to look for other sources of cash flow, which in the past they may not have had initially. So we in BDO have looked at the entire end-to-end and have looked at, again, client need. And based on the client need, not only looked at digital solutions, but even the traditional ones, primarily because uh, not everybody's digital ready, as what was mentioned earlier. So when we look at looking um, at extending credit, either it be breaking down uh, payments over 12 months at zero interest or extending maybe payroll loans to clients who need to get through uh, until the next payroll, um, we look at uh, point of sale systems, as well as uh, client loans, as well as digital solutions. So it's important to always keep the client ahead and in the center of everything we do. And uh, we've always made it a point that the solutions have to be encompassing and not just limited to uh, certain channels. So uh, Ito, anything specific that you would like to add to this uh, about any any alternate initiative that you are looking at uh, RCBC? In fact, uh, to that point, we were able to launch the uh, the country's first loans marketplace provided by a bank uh, in the Philippines. And in fact, BNPL is one of them. It's true that uh, the the bottom line of all of these things that we are doing right now is really uh, comprehensive ecosystem development. So we really need partners, we really need this collaboration, synergy, and cooperation across all players in the digital space to be able to service our people. So with the BNPL being the emerging uh, you know, the, the trend right now in terms of popularity amongst consumers, I think uh, we are uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, big volumes uh, in, in, across, the, across the industry. So we'd also like to get a perspective on how uh, banks are innovating and utilizing emerging technologies like uh, AI, machine learning, API, uh, to support innovative payment products. Uh, so at this point, maybe I, I'd like to invite uh, Vijay from UOB on, on how you are approaching this. So I, I think we're looking at three things um, uh, in our own setup, right? To look at how do we use more data and analytics. So the first one is really analytics. Far too often in the past, people have been looking at lookalike models. 
So if customer A looks like customer B behaves like customer B, then offer this, right? So we're turning that around on its head to say, let's look at the segment of one, right? Let's really look at personalized marketing, look at all the data we have about one customer and try to then go grounds up from there. So that's one perspective. The second is looking at alternate data, right? So if you're going to leverage the traditional means uh, and ways of assessing customers, right, for different products, the approval rates will tend to be where they are today in ASEAN, right? And that's why the underbanked and unbanked is, is such a big number. So it's really about leveraging all the other data in the ecosystem, right? Where a customer is interacting, whether it's a telco, e-commerce, ride hailing, and then to be able to make meaning out of that to then uh, assess the customer in the right manner. Uh, and the third one is, I think, is really the customer journey, like Millie said, right? How do you ensure a great experience for the customer? right? And ensuring that without they having to go through the entire application form and, and then wait for five days to know what happened, can you be more upfront to them? Right? Show them what's possible first and then ask them to do the documentation to verify. So I think those are the three things. Really. Great. Uh, Henry, uh, I would like to take your comments also on, uh, uh, you talked about uh, earlier about insights and also about API. So, uh, so give us a perspective on how, how you are doing it. Uh, well, Colin was 100% uh, right. It's not all about API. Uh, there's a lot that goes into uh, payment services. But Kwe uh, also mentioned that it's hygiene. If you don't get the API strategy right, you won't make it sustainable. And in Union Bank, we've never charged uh, for any fund transfer fees uh, from the day we started to today that we're scaling. Uh, where it becomes sustainable is the cost structure of our platform. So if you do the platform correctly, especially now that there's uh, 222 standard for ISO, uh, where all the APIs will be standardized and efficient, uh, your cost becomes zero mar marginal cost. So it doesn't, uh, you don't have to pay an arm and a leg to provide the service. Uh, it becomes sustainable when we embed it in our financial supply chain and uh, paired with the loans, of course. We're now able to do payments paired with the uh, supplier financing or invoice factoring. So payment as a service is sustainable if the cost structure of the platform that services it is near marginal cost, and if you can embed it in the services, the other services that you have. That gives a good perspective there. Uh, John, uh, John Howard, uh, so some uh, a perspective from you on this as well. The, the two major, I guess, use cases, the, the non-sexy one is the one that's going to, I guess, be impactful first, which is really the, the, the use of machine learning to do risk management for fraud on payments uh, because the, the data is there. Yes. The, the sexy version, which is the, the use of machine learning to analyze customer behavior and be, and be proactive and offer advice, uh, that's... That's a little a bit of a challenge because of data privacy. I mean, we have the payment data, but we, we can have access to the underlying commercial uh, transactions. Uh, you know, how many tooth bars, uh, bars of soap he bought or what brand of toothpaste he bought. Uh, and uh, the challenge is getting that data because of the, the data privacy uh, consent. But uh, when you serve as an ecosystem, there's so much rich data there uh, to really ramp up yeah. consumer behavior analysis. That's true. That's true. It's, it's, it's easier on the corporate side because when we do invoice presentment and we manage the data flows, we see all the data. But there, 
there's nothing sexy to analyze there. Consider- you know, we'll segue this, uh, you know, to our next uh, topic, really, in terms of, uh, you know, with the past frameworks in place, I mean, you, you have a decision really to make in terms of whether uh, to invest or not, and, you know, how much in terms of whether to move towards that full payment technology stack, um, you know, what's the strategy in place? How can you achieve that level of scalability, speed, and, and, and security? And essentially what I'm getting at is looking at, the, at what's driving uh, really this, this decision uh, in terms of whether you, you believe you should be outsourcing, you know, your entire, uh, you know, payments processing capability. Uh, so I'd like uh, Noel uh, to probably have a stab at this first uh, before uh, reaching out to some of the other uh, guests. The, the fees that you collect from payment came about because of the inefficiency of the system, right? You, you, need the, you need an intermediary to be able to drive the payment uh, process. Right? That's where banks were good at, right? But as we begin to improve this payment process through the efficiency, the more and more that uh, that margin that you're able to charge uh, gets eroded. So in, in the next few years, we believe that payment, the money that you can make out of the payment transaction will really go away. Right? So the, the business here is not about the payment transaction itself. It is the ability to recognize what are those things that you can create out of that payment uh, service. Now, and, and that's the reason why um, I'm going to answer your question now is, do I now outsource that? Do I now look exactly. at for the techno, uh, technology stack that I need, right? Uh, the most important here is not owning the technology. The most important, what do we want to do? Mm. Outcome of that. The outcome of that is with the rich data that's going to pass through these uh, payment rails is what is important to the bank. It is not what is how to run it when who's running it. So our view yeah. is it will be via partnerships, via outsourcing. Uh, you can call it uh, as a service model. Right. So that's where we think it will it will it will go for the future. Emily, uh, I'd like you to uh, to also have a, uh, share your thoughts on this as well in terms of uh, whether to outsource or not. It's actually I can't just say outsource, not outsource. So really, the way I would answer this is a combination between this question and then one that was asked earlier. How do we innovate? How do we incorporate emerging technologies? Because that is actually what helps me to answer, what do I outsource? What do I build out my own? So I want to take a step back here. From a customer experience perspective, what we do is we look at trends. We try to figure out what is going on. We also try to look into very deep insights into the the client's perspective. This is more than just what do they think about our bank or about a specific solution. Instead, understanding their psychographics and really understanding how can we get their life share so that we can get their mind share in order to get their wallet share. From there, take all of those insights, turn that into a design thinking sprint where we can carve out and design what is that end solution that will directly tie back to the jobs to be done, the needs, the wants of the client. And then from there, we can start to uh, look out into the future in terms of this is what our North Star is in five years out, maybe even 20 years out. Very blurry future, though. Uh, But then work, work backwards to dice it up into pieces of how can we get started today 
what do we need in place today? So basically looking at what do we need to buy, borrow, build from a technology perspective. And that's how we would figure out what do we outsource? What do we build? And if we're going to outsource something, are we going to uh, partner with a startup? Are we going to buy it? What are we going to do? But in the end, those three Bs, it actually, the purpose of the buy, borrow, build piece is around how can we buy ourselves more time if we're going to go and build it, if we're going to go and iterate on this, if we're going to figure out, does this make, uh, is this business uh, viable enough for us to continue to evolve, iterate, and invest in? And Carlo, um, uh, just quickly, uh, your thoughts on on, on this, uh, on the key decision uh whether to proceed or not? I, I think it boils down to service, right? So for us, service, client service is very important. And uh, the quality of the service that we offer is important. So choosing a partner, outsourcing or in insourcing will really be dependent on whether we can keep the quality at the level we want to keep it. There is so much technology out there, so many third-party uh, providers that can offer top class technology, but if they do not adhere to the same values of the company that you work for, uh, like in BDO, and they cannot adhere to the quality that we expect, then it's going to be very difficult to partner and outsource uh, if they if they cannot keep the quality up. I think we in the Philippines are in a great position because there's so much to learn from the West, especially with open finance, open banking, and the mistakes they've taken and the good things they've done. And with the focus of the client and the client service, again, Again, everything boils down to the client and what benefits them. We should look for the right solutions and the right balance. And I think that's what BDO is trying to do uh, mm-hmm. and that we yeah. continue to, to aim to do. Absolutely. Um, and I'd like uh, to get uh, kind of, uh, kind of's perspective as well. Um, kind of, um, if, if you could also um, um, share your thoughts on this. There's been so many interesting viewpoints presented and I would say that um, all of them really are speaking to the, the immense options available uh, to financial institutions, to banks today uh, in uh, you know, how they get a product or service out to market. Um, so really it's taken the black swan event of, uh, of the pandemic to accelerate really and bring to the fore um, the ability for banks today to leverage large providers like FIS uh, to almost outsource the entire go-to-market strategy for either a product uh, or a set of products, right? With only perhaps um, the, the regulate the regulatory aspect and the customer service, customer experience aspect still being owned. Um, as FIS, we're you know we move um, enormous amounts of money every day. We're processing billions of transactions every day, so we have that scale, um, and that allows us to have that very focused conversation with the financial institution today and say, you know, we could we could deliver the entree. Uh, we could deliver the dessert or we could deliver the entire seven-course meal to you, right? It really depends on what your appetite is. Uh, we're op- operating in a, in a part of the world where there's, you know, immense complexity because you're operating a smallest board of, of markets. Uh, for, a, for a bank that's operating on a, on a regional basis, right, the complexity uh, that's involved with just taking a single product or a service out, it's, it's immense, Right. And for a provider like FIS, we've got the we've got the scale and the investments, whether it's on cloud consumption, whether it's a collaboration with multiple cloud partners, whether it's you know understanding the regulatory uh, frameworks and landscape across multiple markets, uh, whether it's having the hooks into the market uh, uh, and the economy and the newer emerging players, 
all of that available today. So, uh, for instance, we recently launched um, what's the first global real-time network called called RealNet. So, an ability to move money instantly from you know from uh, anywhere to anywhere, and that provides our bank partners the opportunity to really piggyback on a service that's that's been built for them already, right? But they own the customer experience, they own the brand. Uh, they own the extent to which they would like to, uh, you know, leverage a service that's been created. Um, so really, um, the opportunity exists today that, that you know, to Colin's point uh, today is regardless of how much payments you've built into your legacy, you have the ability to just completely disregard, look at uh, a new service or a, or a product that you have to take out to market with it on the retail side, whether it's commercial, B2B, to C, to C. Uh, and say that I would like to consume this in in its entirety from a provider, and, uh, and I think that's 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 available. Uh, that's certainly doable in the context of the marketplace. Devishish, uh, uh, quickly, your your thoughts uh, in terms of uh, whether to stay in house or outsource? But I would add that you know technology is developing so much. Mm. What we look at is that how do we make it more scalable and flexible and agile? So that's that's the important point. The other point, which has not been mentioned by others, which I would like to highlight, is that we do have in, in the corporate space, we have an opportunity to, you know, customize, right? So there are uh, customers where you may want to look at their ecosystem and try to develop something new for them. So we need to look at what is the bank's appetite for the customization. And then is it served better by an in-house system or is it better to be outsourced? So those are crucial decision points to me. Two quick questions, uh, Colin and Henry, really in terms of, uh, you know, what steps uh, your institutions are taking place uh, or taking for outsourcing, uh, you know, your technology stack, what's your, you know, uh, cloud strategy or migration to cloud, uh, any any obstacles, challenges that you're facing on that front? In relation to moving to the cloud, obviously, there's a lot of uh, mindset change within an organization. Moving to cloud means that you are not, you know, tweaking every single line of code. You're using the standard model, you're using the standard capability, and you've got to look at how you actually use that and leverage that rather than how you customize every finite piece, which is what we've been used to in the past. Payments has been endemic with customization. So when you're looking at going to a cloud-based service, you've got to actually look at, can I get to a standardization? Can I find a provider that can give me the flexibility? But more importantly, can I find a business who is really going to think about how do I use this tool rather than how, I, how do I reinvent my own tool? And I think that that is the biggest challenge that you're going to find. The other aspect you've got to look at is ensuring you've got the transaction reliability. Noel mentioned it very uh, earlier on. You know, transaction integrity, transaction reliability. There's always still concerns because obviously when the Philippines were a fair degree of distance away from other places, and we've got to look at those linkages and those transaction integrity so that they can operate, you know, 24 by 7. So those are very briefly the, the concerns. But it's a lot more about the mindset of people about I'm not building, I'm not buying something in a box, I'm not customizing, I am actually using tools and how can I learn to use those tools effectively to support my business and innovate my business. So um, one other uh, perspective around payments that we've uh, mentioned earlier and a lot of our uh, panelists have talked about is cross-border payment and remittance. So that in the past was expensive and subject to delays, but you know, the industry-led developments such as SWIFT, GPI, ISO 20022, and then blockchain-based blockchain payments. We're also seeing bilateral arrangement between countries. So uh, so now, uh, 
this also requires if you have to implement these a lot of technology integration and modernization of multiple uh, uh, real time cross border payments so what is uh, where is your institution in this journey of facilitating real time cross border payments and what are some of the biggest challenges in this processes and how they are being addressed so uh, maybe if i could invite atul uh, to give a perspective on this first so uh, i think devashish mentioned about you know how come um, you know the retail customers are flush with choices on the corporate side i think that that's that's an experience which is which is not yet there and i think that that's key really um, you know i think speed is vital but the other aspect is efficiency so i'll just focus on these two uh, so in terms of speed it's multi layered so one aspect is intra institution so we have for instance domestic uh, we have got for instance priority pay which you know across eight markets in dbs any movement of funds across accounts in any of these eight markets uh, across you know moves happens instantly the next phase the next layer is the cross border payments with swift gpi it's brought in transparency is brought in uh, efficiency and speed so today 50% of gpi payments get credited to the beni within 30 minutes uh, the third element would really be in terms of interoperability of these swift cross border payments with the domestic instant 24 by 7 um so it's happening in let's say uk and india other places like singapore hong kong it's work in progress the next layer would be really the interoperability between instant 24 by 7 schemes in different markets um yes. and and the final layer really would be the the blockchain payments which you talked about in from a dbs perspective we've um, you know uh, announced the setup of a company a party or with timasek and jp morgan and really that's the building blocks of the next gen digital economy because not just instant certain transparent principle is also programmability of payments and programmability of money at this point uh, kevin can you give us a perspective of uh, hsbc and also a more perspective in terms of uh, transaction banking side so how how that is uh, playing out and how what initiatives you are taking so when we talk about cross border payments and especially when looking at cross border real time the question is is technology today available to do that and yes you know uh, we've seen about swift gpi giving visibility transactions getting credited uh within a day etc the more important facet or the more important thing that we need to cover is more around the actual problems around it so it's not necessarily just technology but what are the problems that we are trying to solve when i'm doing cross border real time what is it that i'm covering am i covering just transferring money 24 by 7 am i doing 24 by 7 plus data or am i actually driving digital financial in- inclusion especially you know as as was mentioned earlier where there is almost 75% of this population in the asean region is either underbanked or not banked right and regulators are moving away from cash so what are the problems that we are trying to solve because that's what will then drive the friction right you have interoperability um are the schemes actually talking because a lot of the domestic rtp schemes are domestic use case based Uh, when you go into a cross border is that something that actually validates and how does that break off um we also then look at regulatory and compliance and that's a very big thing a lot of the domestic real time payment schemes do not require uh sanction screening because they they assume that's taken care of but once it gets into cross border those things then become very important so if you want to do that real time how are we going to do that and and what are the implications and that's where we see a couple of these corridors that come in and with hsbc we are investing in a lot of these things or we are one of the largest users of swift gpi globally and we are using that to actually provide transparency to our customers um we are working through uh, regulators with all of these use cases to see how best we can drive some of these things in right right um we're also building out 
a whole lot of capabilities to allow customers from just the regulatory aspect so again how are we bringing that and digitizing those things to mm. remove the friction that our customers are trying to face absolutely kaiwan and and you you hit that nail on the head in terms of removing all that friction uh, you know for 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 customers and and really what does this mean in terms of uh, you know what pass can offer as as a new generation set of technology solutions uh, you know that's allowing banks to modernize their their payments product portfolio uh, and really resetting the standards for for customer experience um so so pass you know it is it is providing that uh, opportunity for for banks to deliver uh, to end users operating through of course cloud based platforms but in addition providing those specialized services that uh, that ultimately are of benefit and value to to uh, to your customers um so with that said i'd like to thank uh, everyone who's joined us today and especially our our esteemed guests